So good to be back with you again in church. Thanks so much for being here. It's very exciting. Uh, this is great to be with you. I, um, you're in danger because I haven't preached live for a long time. So I've got three sermons. I'm sort of, lo- sort of loaded for bear. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. We want to start this series entitled They Devoted Themselves. And it's something of a passion for me because it, when, when the team we were talking about, we had this whole plan for the year in terms of a sermon plan we planned that out you know and we were uh, we just you know with COVID we just said okay well this there's something new but um we're all designed for devotion we're, we're wired we're created like this uh, created for a divine romance fundamentally with the king of glory we're wired to have connection with God we have an inner yearning that's built into all of us something searching inside of us looking for meaning and for connection with eternity and God has built that all in. Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, he said, listen, God built this into us. There's a yearning inside of men. We're all longing to know about what has been going on. And without that, we would never perceive the end from the beginning. We'd never look into eternal things. So God built that into us, and he's given it to us as a gift, this sort of inner yearning. Now, the, the simple truth is that our lives work best when they're in connection with God. When I'm far away from him, if I'm out of harmony with him, my life doesn't work. It becomes a small, tiny caricature of what it's actually designed to be. You and I were designed to have life with a capital L, life and abundance, Jesus said. And that's what he said, I came to give you. And um, that, that life really comes when we're connected with Jesus Christ. And so uh, if I want to use a silly example, I I was around about 35 years old and I realized there's never going to be a time in my life again where I can just eat whatever I want without consequence. From this time on, from this day, it sort of hit me like a revelation. From this day onwards, if I want to look, if I'm fighting my gene pool, you know, all the men in my family tend towards portly. I was like, if I'm fighting my gene pool, there's never going to be a time again in my life where where I can just eat what I want. And with impunity. Now, from this day onwards, I'm going to have to be careful what I eat. I'm going to have to exercise every, you know, regularly. Whereas before, in my 20s, that was never a consideration. Sort of any given amount of pizza didn't have any impact. It was, it was wonderful. Not a single amen in the house. <laughs> yeah. So, so I realized, you know, you get to a certain stage where you go, okay, okay. If I, if I want a certain result, I have to commit myself by habit, by, by constant life to a certain course. If I do that, then I can achieve what I want. But I cannot any longer just cruise and attain what I want. Are you tracking? And so the, the simple truth is what we habitually commit ourselves to in private will prove itself in our lives in public. What we habitually commit ourselves to in private will be seen in the public arena. What I'm devoted to, what I devote myself to, will impact me. And one of the first realities I've seen in this COVID challenge is that as people have come under pressure, as um, their lifestyles have come under pressure, the calendars have come under pressure, their finances have come under pressure, what actually is inside of them, it comes out. And so the people who have a healthy devotion to the Lord, when they come under pressure, that is proven in a public arena. The people who haven't had a strong foundation tend to be really, really stressing and worrying and collapsing under the weight of what's come against them. So the, so the truth of it is what we, what we devote ourselves to um, in, the, in the happy days, is, is, it doesn't make much difference. But when the pressure hits, what I have devoted my life to will show up and it will shine 
or not. Now, the first church, the Bible says, devoted themselves to certain things that proved to be of great value to them later on because they were about to hit persecution. As we come back to meet, I don't want us to uh, mistake uh, in the beauty of what this is because God intended for the church to be together. He intended for the gathering of the saints. There's nothing wrong with what's going on here today. In fact, it's just beautiful. But I don't want us to miss. I don't want us to to say, I'm going to now take off the personal responsibility for prayer and worship and devotion and spending time in the Word, and I'm going to transfer that to the public meeting. So that now in the public meeting is where I get my opportunity to pray. The public meeting is the opportunity I get to worship. The public meeting is where I I partake of the Word of God. Are you tracking with me? Because as much as I love this and as much as, as important as these meetings are, they cannot substitute for you and I devoting ourselves in a private place to certain things. So I love coming together where we can overflow with the beauty of what God's doing. But if the only prayers I utter are in this service, then something is missing. If the only time I worshiped this week was what the band led us in right now, then there's something missing. So let's go to the start of the first church. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. Tongues of fire, over 120 people. Peter gets up and preaches. 3,000 people are cut to the heart and get saved, and they get baptized. Just, can you just, just pause with me a minute? How do you baptize 3,000 people? And there's 120 of you. Well, each of, the, each of the 120 did at least probably around about 30 baptisms, if all 120 of them. So what did, where did they baptize people? I mean, they must have had a fairly large place. Imagine 3,000 people. It went on for hours. People were getting baptized and getting saved. Acts 2. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. It does not say the apostles devoted them. It doesn't say their leaders commanded them they were made to do this no they devoted themselves it's one of the most amazing realities in church life that somebody can come into the church explode it's like they they grow like weeds you know they just explode and they at meetings and they praying in the prayer meetings and they engaging with a message and they listening five times more to the message you know during the week and they they going to community groups and they grow and they they just explode in the kingdom and then there's somebody sitting right next to them it just grumbles and moans and nothing ever and this is horrible to and it's all just terrible and you go how how can this be we're, we're sitting in the same environment. We're, we're having the same input. And the truth is that you can take, uh, you know, the old saying is you, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You, you can take a camel to water, you can't stop him drinking. You can take a sheep into the field, but you can't make him eat. There's something that has to come from the inside of us going, I really want to engage. I I really want to know the Lord. I really am hungry for something. And that devotion, that personal devotion to some fundamental issues is what makes people explode in their spiritual growth. 
And as, and as good as we can make these meanings, and I, and the Holy, I just love this morning. Uh, Keith came to me and just said, because there, there were a couple of words, the Lord's talking about fire and angels and, and that he's doing something. And Keith said he saw, in this morning in the vision, he saw chariots come in and he was like, are they for us or against us? And they turned into chariots of fire and angelic. So, so the Lord is saying something to our church, right? There's something going to happen in these corporate meetings I'm very, very excited about. But that's only half the picture. Those who, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and the signs that were performed by the apostles. Those who accepted his message, okay, there, there we go. Now, <clears throat> it's not just that we're devoted to doctrine. They, it says they devoted themselves, and this is what this message is about this week, is they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. It's not just that they devoted, devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching. It was the, the doctrine of those specific apostles. Because elsewhere in the scripture, the, the apostles warned. They said there are some false apostles, and there's some other teachers, and there's some other people saying things that are not the same as what we're saying. And, the, and one of the beautiful things about our generation is that we can get the gospel out quickly, and that there is digital communication, and we can see. But, the, but one of the dangers of that is that you can listen to 15 sermons this week if you so choose, because they're all accessible and all available. You can go to the best preachers in the world and listen to what he's saying, and what she's saying, and what they believe over there now the the problem with that is that there are so many teachers but not many fathers paul said there's not many apostolic fathers who build foundations into your life that are going to be healthy for you and you can go to somebody else and they will put a yoke on you the yoke was the amalgamum of what the teachers would teach you, you this is good for you that's bad for you you can't do that you should do this you're bound from doing that you're loosed to do this that teaching that comes that proceeds out of the word of god a teacher will take the word of god and expound it to us and that Jesus called the yoke. The amalgamum of the, what they bound and loosed was called the yoke. And Jesus said, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But he said of the Pharisees, they put a heavy yoke on the people of God, and they don't, help, they don't lift a finger to help those people carry the yoke that they put on them. And that yoke forbids them from going in. Now, uh, some people have a, a, a style of preaching that I really like. But the yoke will kill me. See, I like the sincerity and the clarity of the legalists when I was younger. Oh, I liked legalism. Because there was a sincerity to it. There was a devotion, the devotional element to it. It was like, just give Jesus your everything or die, you ugly thing. You know, it had, I was like, ah, these are my people. I liked the sincerity and the clarity of the legalists, but almost killed me. I like the, the certainty of extremists. But truth uh, that is preached must be held in tension. All truth is in tension with other truth. The truth, and, and so when you come under a teaching, what you devote yourself to is not just that you devote yourself to biblical teaching, it's that you devote yourself. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine to the apostles that Jesus had appointed. And so this is why we say that this is, this is what you get saved into is more important than what you got saved out of. What you got saved out of is, is, is dead and gone, but what you get saved into has the potential to launch you into all the call of God on your life. What you were saved for is more important than what you were saved from because there's something ahead of you. There's a dream that God has for your life. And the people who preach to you will either unlock that dream or lock it up in you. 
This is not a small thing. And so where we decide, because I mean, people, oh, I really like that teaching. I go, yeah, but, but that's legalism. I, I understand why you like it. God's a gifted orator, but that'll kill you. Am I, am I preaching to anybody yet? So we have to be careful about what we devote ourselves because they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. See, in the, in the early church, uh, they, they, all they knew was the Sanhedrin who were politicized. They had lost their way as religious leaders and were sold. Their primary altar was the altar of political expediency. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the, the Sadducees were all about the politics and the optics of the situation. It didn't matter what you believed. It was how the Romans were going to view what you believed. And, and so so that, that was their whole deal. They were just worried about the optics. And the, and the Pharisees were just worried about themselves losing the power and the control over the people. And that was their altar that they burned incense at. And so Jesus comes burning pure incense, devotion only to the Father's will. And that freaks them both out. And so the early church had watched this play. And the early church are going, but, but who's going to teach us what the Bible actually says? Because the gospel broke out. Jesus had come on the scene and saying, you better change the way you think because the kingdom's about to explode and the kingdom of God broke out and the spirit of God falls and the new early church are going there's, there's, what is the true doctrine and so you find the apostles seeking God waiting on God laboring hard in the word to make sure that the, that the truth that they're preaching is the, is the gospel of Jesus Christ not the stuff that's man made not the stuff that's for optics for the Romans not the stuff that, that pushes some people into ascendancy and makes them look good but the stuff that makes God's people free and so the apostles are waiting on God and so when the, when the division breaks out in the church in Acts 7 and they say let's appoint some deacons because they said it's not right for us to give up our time in the word and in prayer because we have to labor in the word and in prayer because we have to bring forth the truth we have to get the gospel by revelation paul said i didn't receive this from any man it was given to me by revelation from god so friends let me just say this something there are some people who are called by god to minister and have the revelation from god it's not just that they know the word of god but are listening and laboring to hear what the spirit of god is saying and what he once preached that my friends is something that you have to seek out and then you have to commit yourself to listening to that It's not enough for us to believe that our leaders are clear and sharp in the, in the correct doctrine, although that's imperative. We ourselves must devote ourselves because they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now, the apostles' doctrine was the revelation of the gospel. It was the borders of the new covenant being fleshed, fleshed out. So let's just put the scripture into context because they devoted themselves becomes extremely important for what they're about to go through. In around about four years' time after that scripture, they come, they come under a massive persecution by the hands of a young man named Saul. Saul is the epitome. Saul is the youngest uh, member of the Sanhedrin who has now come into his space, and he is full of zeal to persecute the church. Now, the Jewish religious, religious leaders, out of envy, had handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. And uh, Rome had, was very nervous about Israel because Israel had been in revolt. The Maccabean revolt had been going on. It had been finally quenched. But Rome had this uneasy relationship with Israel, and especially around the feasts, because Rome knew that whenever these Jews come together, they get, you know, get stirred up in a crowd. So they would, they would multiply the number of, of 
groups of um, Roman soldiers in Jerusalem over the feast periods. And so that's why when Jesus comes into the city and people are waving uh, brows and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Hosanna was the cry of the Maccabees and the palm frond was the sign of the Maccabees. So when they're waving these palm fronds and throwing them down in front of Jesus, it's, it's to the Roman eyes, it looks like a revolt and the Sadducees come running out and say, stop this. Rome was watching for any sign of division and rebellion. And the Sanhedrin were trying to enforce anything that didn't look like them. And the Pharisees just hated anything that wasn't sanctioned by them. So the opposition to the church begins to grow. Although the church is experiencing the favor of the people, the, the leadership in Israel at that time, none of them liked the church. And so they, they arrest Peter and John, and they bring them before the Sanhedrin, and uh, they, they leave the Sanhedrin with a warning. And then they're arrested again, put in prison, freed by an angel, and they go straight out to preaching in the streets. They're rearrested and flogged, and that doesn't deter them. And then they, they stir up people to tell false stories about Stephen, who is seeing mighty miracles, and they arrest him, falsely accuse him, and then they kill him. So let me take you to that in Acts 7, when members of the Sanhedrin heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him Stephen full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God look he said I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him meanwhile the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul and while they were stoning him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. When he said this, he fell asleep. Very next chapter, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It's fascinating to me that these people who had devoted themselves to certain fundamentals, when the time came when they were being viciously persecuted, not just generally persecuted as they had been for the life of the entire life of the church, but now people, Saul has actually figured out who was there. He's had spies in the meeting. They know who came. They know who came today, and they're coming to your house to arrest you, and they don't care about you, man, woman, children. They're arresting everybody and throwing everybody in jail. A vicious and violent persecution is coming against the church and the church scatters now you would think that the logical thing to do if for the church to scatter is to go quietly and hide but the bible says these people went out everywhere and preached and the gospel exploded and churches were planted and and, and the kingdom of god expanded massively because when you put people under pressure who have devoted themselves to the right things it just explodes the kingdom and the question I began to ask myself was if God poured out a persecution on us and we came under the same pressure that they did, would we go out everywhere preaching? Because what you do in secret, the things you devote yourself to in the private place, are going to manifest themselves publicly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And when pressure came, they went everywhere preaching. 
Uh, I don't know. Let, let me just, I'll get one of the apostles. Uh, could you come and just t- tell it to him? No, they went out everywhere and preached. All right, hold on to your hats. What did they teach? Well, let me just say the word of God taught by the apostles was spiritual nourishment. God's word is going to be food for us. I'm going to go through this quickly, but you know this. This is nothing new. God's word is food for you. It's going to sustain you. It's going to, his truths get into your heart and bring strength to your whole being. Uh, you can tell people, just like with food, you can tell people who malnourished and you, you can tell people who are well-fed. It's not hard to miss, right? In the same way, people who are malnourished in biblical way, and they haven't devoted themselves to the Word of God and to the Apostles' doctrine, they look a certain way. They act in a certain way. They have no internal spiritual guts or strength. Uh, because of this reality. So this, Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you can grow up in your salvation. We know this. Secondly, the word is an offensive weapon. I, I, some, I'm tired of just shield the shield, just taking, you know, shield the faith. Sometimes I want to stab the enemy back. Sometimes I want to thrust and parry. Sometimes I want to push back legalism. Sometimes I want to fight against lies. Sometimes I want to cut through condemnation. And to do that, God gives us the word of God. It is the sword of the spirit. And it is something that we can do damage with to the kingdom of darkness. I can push back temptation just as Jesus did with it. I can, I can uh, cut down false doctrines that are trying to put people in chains just as Paul and Jesus did. Uh, Jesus kept doing this, and they go, uh, you know, you, why do you say Lord? He said, answer me this question. Why does David call uh, Jesus Lord? He says, uh, I don't know. He goes, they, they came to him and said, oh, by what authority do you guys, I'll tell you what, why don't you guys go away, take this scripture, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He said, go and talk about that, and then come back and tell me what that scripture means. Uh, okay. Jesus said to them, you know what you guys are like? You're like a generation who said, we, we played a dance, we played a merry song and you didn't dance. We played a dirge and you didn't mourn. What's going on with you? We can't make this guy dance to any tune we play. Number three, it's a powerful motivator. It's a powerful motivator. <laughs> you and I, friends, are, are just going to say, Jeremiah said that his word in me was like a fire shut up in my bones. I, I had to go. Paul said to me, whoa, if I do not preach. Paul said, I struggle with all this energy which he so powerfully works inside of me. Friends, when I devote myself to the Word of God, when you devote yourself to the Word of God, that Word will be like a fire shut up in your bones. It'll, it'll stir on the inside of you. It's a powerful motivator. It's like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and a fire in our heart. It lights the fires of motivation. It brings clarity to the call. Is not my word like a fire, the Lord said to Jeremiah. He said, yes, it is. And like a hammer that'll break the rock in pieces. Absolutely. Now, when the early church devoted themselves, friends, they devoted themselves to certain Gospel teachings by apostles. Apostles and prophets are the ones in Scripture that lay foundations in the lives of believers. You can build a house that has no foundation, and it may look pretty. It looks pretty until a storm hits, until the floods come, until the winds blow. 
And so if you want to build your life on a foundation, you need, you need to seek out apostles and prophets. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, and, and they, they built their lives on that foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets. And because apostles fundamentally lay foundations, they set guidance on which we build. And this, uh, Paul said a number of times, I, I laid a foundation among you. He said, I didn't want to preach on where somebody else had laid a foundation. I came to you to lay a foundation. And so this apostles tend to talk about foundational doctrines, the milk of the word of God. Uh, and that milk will establish people, the very first foundational important things that believers need to know. Now, some people say, but the apostles died out long ago. No, they didn't. Uh, apostles still live today because the Bible says it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher until we all reach unity in the faith and be in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature and we attain to the whole measure of Christ. We're not there yet. Apostles and prophets are still valid today. Beware of people who want to use apostle and prophet as a title, though. It's a function, not a title. Nobody calls me husband Greg, although I am a husband. Love to be a husband. But it's a function, not a title. There are apostles today, and they serve the body of Christ, and they, they, they sacrifice the most, they give the most, they are beaten the most, they punish the most. Paul said, God has put us apostles at the end of the line. And when you find somebody like that, not somebody who wants to be puffed up and exalt themselves above the body of Christ, but somebody who understands their authority is given to serve the body of Christ, then you should devote yourself to their doctrine. Don't devote yourself to every doctrine, because some doctrine will take you captive. Some doctrine will feed your flesh. Some doctrine will put you in bondage. Some doctrine will turn you away from God. Be careful where you commit what you, what you get saved into. More important than what you get saved out of. So Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with psalms and with festive praises and with prophetic songs that were given you spontaneously by the Spirit. And I loved the ones the Holy Spirit gave this morning. Sing to God with all of your hearts. I love that. Now let me run through. This is this sermon number two. Let me run through the kinds of doctrines that apostles ought to be teaching. They are foundational for us. These are the fundamental things. Paul said uh, to the Corinthians, I came to you, I resolved to know only two things because you're babies in Christ. You're not mature. You need milk, not solid food. And he said, so I came to you and I resolved to know only two doctrines. Not that I only knew two doctrines because Paul says a little bit later on, he says, I do have a message of wisdom for the mature. But it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age which are coming to nothing. Paul said, I do have a message of maturity, but I, when I came to you, I could only talk to you about two things because you're babies in Christ. So I resolved to know only these two things, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Who the person of Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. These are the foundational milk word that must be taught. So I want to run through these quickly. If anybody's interested in more of these, there are 10-part series on all of these on our website at Courses. .northlandschurch.com and uh, you can get a code if you just write the office and they'll give you a code those courses will be free to you you're most welcome to do them there's a 10 part series on each of these and I'm going to run through this very quickly but if you really wanted to commit yourself if you want to devote yourself I'd recommend you go and do that 
Who is Jesus? This is an important thing. Jesus is the chief, precious, foundational, and cornerstone. Those are the the various names that he's used. Jesus is the only person that you can build your spiritual life on. Every life that is healthy and celebrated by God has Jesus as its foundation stone. There is no other way to build your life. This is fundamental to the Scriptures. You and I have no success in any eternal realm outside of being sourced and grounded and anchored by Jesus Christ. He must be the foundation stone of all things. We must recognize that Jesus, secondly, is the creator of all things. Everything exists by his power and for his purpose. Everything was created by him and for him, and he is owed first allegiance, the worship and the honor of the creator God, God over all. He created out of nothing everything that exists. Everything is created for his good pleasure. If you understand that, about Jesus Christ, it'll orient your life. It'll fix a lot of different things in your life. It suddenly gives you the answer to who should I listen to? Well, I should listen to the Creator God. And so you'll find this doctrine everywhere in the New Testament. All things were created by Him. One John says nothing. John one says nothing existed without Him. He is the fundamental God and author of all things. Thirdly, Jesus is the Redeemer of all things. In the eternal covenant, Jesus took the responsibility not only to create all things, but once He had created all things, He took the responsibility to redeem all things. In effect, He said, "Father, if any of the people that I." created sin, I will go and pay for the sins that they commit. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And if you understand that the moment you acknowledge that you are a sinner, you have to acknowledge that there is only one redeemer. There is only one way that you can find salvation, and it's not by your own effort. It's by your faith in the one that God appointed before time. Amen. Wish we had more time for that. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's master over everything. He has complete supremacy of power and authority. The early church died in this confession. Jesus Christ is Lord as opposed to Caesar is Lord. And when they were confronted at the point of their own life to say, just compromise and say, Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. They said, no, Jesus is the Lord. He's the one before whom every knee will bow. See, so friends, we go, oh, yeah, I know that. Well, do you know it in here? Does it catch you in your gut? Jesus Christ is the Lord. There is no authority. There's no principality. There's no, uh, there's no wealth. There's no glory on this earth that will not bow down trembling before the Lord of all. He is the Lord of all. And the fact that we submit our lives to his lordship is an important issue. It's not just that I believed in Jesus and I can wander around and do whatever I want. No, I bring my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's one of the fundamental doctrines that the apostles taught. Jesus is God's eternally appointed high priest going on next. The the only one that God appointed in eternity, he said, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Because when Jesus said, Father, I will go and I'll lay my life down to pay for all the sins of all mankind for all time. And my body and my blood will be the atoning sacrifice and I will give myself up for them. And the Father made two oaths to Jesus. He said, if you will lay down your life, son, I promise you this. Number one, I will not let your body see decay. I will raise you up. And secondly, if you will do that, I will make you the high priest forever. Jesus has been appointed before time began to be the only high priest to represent mankind before God. 
You want to come to God with anything on your mind. You come through Jesus Christ. There is no other. So we have to understand these fundamentals about who Jesus is because it aligns our life. It makes him glorious. And suddenly we come under his lordship. We bow the knee. We say you to you alone. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, that his body and his blood were enough because the five sacrifices the Jews had to make constantly, year after year, thousands and thousands of sacrifices that went on day after day, the constant bloodletting at the temple, the constant stench of burning flesh, the constant pillar of fire from the fires that they had to keep stoked to sacrifice all the sacrifices, the blood, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, these sacrifices that continue continually had to make hundreds of thousands of animals every year and they kept on being offered until one lamb came when John the Baptist said that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and when that lamb was slain he died once and for all and from then onwards no other sacrifice was ever necessary because God decreed that one sacrifice eternally satisfying and it absorbed all the wrath of God against all the sin of man for all time that's why Jesus offered it once for all It was the all-encompassing, perfect, and completely enough sacrifice that God completely accepted. Jesus is the great shepherd of of the sheep, right? The one who cares for, the one who protects, the one who guides, the one who shepherds us, leads us beside still waters, ensures that we we are prospering and well. Jesus is our eternal bridegroom the great eternal groom for the redeemed. The profound mystery, as Paul said, that these two shall become one. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is the dream of God. This was the dream of God in eternity. Son, I'm going to make a bride for you. And Jesus said, I'm so excited. God did not shortchange Jesus on his bride. She's made up of every people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And together we form the bride of Christ. And these two will be eternally together, one. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. Jesus is your eternal bridegroom. What did the apostles teach as fundamental doctrines? This is what they taught. Who is Jesus? This is an important issue. Now I've run out of time. Do you have five more minutes? What are you going to say? No. I'm gonna, I mean. We don't have a second service. Who Jesus is, what he accomplished on the cross. Let's just talk about that briefly. (laughs) The the theological word is expiation, which means that Jesus removed my sins from me. He washed my sins away so that now I stand forgiven and righteous. See, that's not a small issue. I didn't wash me. Jesus' blood washed me. I didn't earn my righteousness. His blood earned my righteousness. I am now uh, made righteous and clean because it's the theological term, uh, uh, this, this idea that Jesus just expiated. He washed it away. I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I didn't strive to present myself as clean. His blood presented me clean. Secondly, is what uh, the Scripture says is, is propitiation. 
propitiation. Jesus absorbed all the wrath of God against me, the justified wrath of God against all the sins I had committed so that now I stand favored in front of God. Do you know that right now you are favored? If you believe in Jesus, God looks at you with great love and favor. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you think you're perfect or not. I don't care if your, your works haven't been perfect. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you, the propitiation of that sacrifice, the power of the blood of Jesus washed all the wrath of God against you completely away forever. And God looks upon you with favor, not because of your cuteness, but because you believed in his son. Redemption. What else did Jesus do on the cross? See, day of atonement, the high priest had to go in with blood and he had to sprinkle it seven times in, on the mercy seat. Seven times sprinkled blood on the mercy seat to make complete atonement. This is the third of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus for redemption. Jesus brought me back from every form of slavery that I'd sold myself into so that now I am completely free. It is for freedom that Christ set me free. There is nothing that can hold you. There is nothing that has authority over you. There's nothing that has rights on you because you came into Jesus Christ and when you came into Jesus Christ, he redeemed you. He redeemed you from the law. He redeemed you from your sinful nature. He redeemed you from your old way of life. He's redeemed you from everything that could have a claim of ownership or bondage over you, and you are free. And that was not because you struggled, although some struggle may be necessary. It was because the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to your heart. Number four, amen. Isn't that cool? You were justified. You were justified. That means Jesus declared me eternally guilt-free so that now I stand acquitted. That's why the devil can have no condemnation on you because he accuses you daily before the throne of God. But they, look what he did, look what he did. And, you, and, you, and, and the devil goes, and then you stand up. What do you have to say in your defense? Jesus. Acquitted. Completely paid for, completely exonerated, you're free to go. By the way, this is an eternal statement. Never have to come back again on that subject. Sanctification. This is the one people got knots in the string. Jesus set me aside for sacred use so that now I am holy. You are not holy in God's sight. Because you have lived a perfect life. You are holy in God's sight because you believed in His Son, Jesus. And because you believed in Jesus, He sanctified you. Paul uses that word in the past tense. You, you, he says, this is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Past tense, when you believed in Jesus Christ. Not you will be sanctified. You're going to happen. No, he said you were sanctified. Now, when you believed and when you were washed in the blood of Jesus, now you have to act like that because you've been given a brand new nature. Everything about your life has changed and you have been made holy. So now go and act holy, the Bible says. Go and be holy. Don't use your holiness now as a freedom to run out and sin. You have been made holy. Now go and live that out. Reconciliation. Jesus restored me to a full relationship with God so that now I'm close to God. <laughs> uh, there is nothing that stood between you and God that stands there anymore. 
Even though you were far away, even though you may have been rebellious, even though you may have shaken your fist in the face of God, when you believed in Jesus Christ and His blood was sprinkled over your life, you were reconciled to God, intimate, tender. When you come in, He grabs you like a father, the child that He delights in. Come here. There's tenderness, there's intimacy, and it didn't come because of your perfection. It came because Jesus' blood was applied to you when you believed in Him. And lastly, regeneration. Jesus gave me a new life so that now I'm born again. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. Jesus didn't just wash you clean and say, now go try harder. I'll give you another chance. No, he, he washed you completely clean. And he took that old you that was sold as a slave to sin, that thing in you that was completely crooked, put it to death. He died, never to be raised again. He circumcised that old dead part of you away, gave you a brand new life, born again by the Holy Spirit, recreated in the image of Jesus. You are not the same you you used to be when you were living in a life of sin. No, you have been completely restored, a brand new life. The old you dead and gone, a brand new alive. The new you is created to be like Jesus in perfect holiness and righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to you. If you, you don't have a sin problem, you have a sin habit. You have to forget the old habits of the past. You have to throw off old habits and you have to embrace this new you that Jesus created to be. You were regenerated and you have been born again. You are a brand new creation. Behold, everything has become new. Let me close with this. You can devote yourself to Netflix. You can devote yourself to news programs. You can devote yourselves to magazines. You can devote yourselves to political parties. You can devote yourselves to other people's opinions and wives' tales. You can devote yourselves to people who want to stir up dissent, or you can devote yourself to the doctrine of the apostles. What you devote yourself to in secret places will be demonstrated in a public place. When pressure hits, you're going to see what people have devoted themselves to. And in this series of sermons, what I'm hoping is not that, that there's, a, there's a condemnatory kind of finger pointed at the church, but a, a, a gentle call to all of us, a reminder to all of us, hey guys, we have this opportunity God is speaking amongst us. This revelation that God is giving us, let's embrace it. Let's celebrate it again. Let's let the Word of God dwell in us richly. Let's let it be on our tongues. Let's, let's, let's share the beauty of what God showed me this week. I think it should be a normal thing among us. Okay, what's God saying to you? Oh, that, let me show you. Look at this. This is so cool. I saw this this week. That should be normal among us. Not what was Greg's sermon about? Which uh, is what most people say. How was the sermon? Oh, I was great. What did he talk about? Uh, I, I want to see, like, what's, what's the Lord saying to you? Oh, let me show you. Colossians. Look, look at this. Look at this. That's what we want. Because those people, those people who devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine went out everywhere and exploded the kingdom. Not in services on Sunday, and Tuesday at the office, and on Thursday in the, on the bus on the way to school, and on uh, Friday afternoons. In the spaces where you go, 
I'm all for revival in the church. I'm so committed to revival. I, yeah, even so, let the flames of God burn here. But the more exciting thing for me is revival in your business and where you work and in your home and among your kids outside of Sunday mornings. But I can't make that happen because we, we have to devote ourselves. And then that will happen to us. Let's pray. Father, I am asking, Lord, in the next few weeks that you would do something supernatural in our church, that we would become a people, Lord, like the early church, who devote ourselves to some beautiful, beautiful truths. And as we do, Lord, would you, would you explode your power and your glory through us? Would you bring, Lord, a beauty, a reality? the secret things, the hidden things, Lord, of our devotion, we know are going to be made manifest in pressure. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing to fear. There is only joy and delight, Lord, in the strength. Because you're shaking everything that can be shaken, Lord, so that what cannot be shaken, which is your kingdom, will remain. Thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody said, how long will the shaking go on? I think it's going to go on until you stop shaking. Amen? When you stop being shaken by the things that can be shaken, you've proven that the kingdom's taken root in your heart because the kingdom can't be shaken. You can't shake peace and joy and righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit. No matter what the circumstances do. You can't shake the unshakable. Certainly creation can't shake the creator. So I think the shaking is going to go on until the church stops shaking in the middle of it. And when you stop shaking, because you're so anchored in Jesus, and when you're laughing at the storm, when, you, when you're commanding the storm, be quiet, muzzle yourself down and be gone. I think that's what the Lord's doing. He's given the church the right and the responsibility now. It's going to keep shaking until the church stops shaking. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. During the week, we put out devotions every day. The devotions that go out this week are about the sermon. Some apostles' doctrine that I think might help you. That's a good start. You say, I want to do this. How do I do it? Go with the devotions this week. Spend some time in them. Study up the scriptures we put out there. I think you'll see. God will begin to establish you, who Jesus is, what he did on the cross. And it's going to be a good week. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.